Welcome, everybody. As part of our series on leadership and the digital age, I have the pleasure today of speaking to Nick Villa. Nick is the Senior Vice President of Strategic Growth for MasterCard and also the global leader of their Government Center of Excellence. In this role, he has focused on the intersection of digital infrastructure with economic development and sustainability. A corporate entrepreneur at heart, Nick's main focus is developing executable strategies that help leading public sector organizations across the world. Here, he has a specific focus on government infrastructure, sustainability, public finance, economic development, and tourism. Prior to MasterCard, Nick worked at IBM as vice president and executive partner at IBM's Global Business Services Unit. Here, he worked with leading government agencies to develop digital platform-focused urban innovation strategies. He also built and led IBM's Internet of Things business in Europe. Prior to IBM, Nick worked for Cisco Systems for almost 20 years. He was a key architect in incubating the Global Digital Consulting Group, and he also helped Cisco take its first step into the smart cities market. Here, he ultimately grew and built an initiative where he partnered with then Chairman and CEO John Chambers to develop multi-year digital partnership programs with French, UK, German, and Italian Prime Ministers. Nick's a board member of the Internet of Things Global Solutions Forum, an executive member of the board of the World Economic Forum's Future of Urbanization, and co-founder of the City of Barcelona City Protocols and Metropolis Partnership. Welcome, Nick, and thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Matthew. Very nice to talk to you. So, early in your career, we're talking about leadership, but when you started, look back to those halcyon days straight out of university. What were your goals and what did you, what did you want to do with your life? <laughs> so, that's a very, very uh, uh, omnicomprehensive question because this really speaks about myself. So, I... I come from a small village uh, close to Milan in Italy. Uh, and during my youth, I started to gradually expand my horizons. You know, started to travel with my father abroad to other neighboring countries around Europe. And I knew when I was a kid that I didn't really want to stay where I was. Uh, I wanted to grow and I wanted to have a global career. Uh, then at university, I got uh, um, asked by my professor of industrial economics uh, to... Um, write my thesis about a new technology that was going to emerge at a time called the internet. And I remember having to explain to my father what the internet was. And so my definition was that the internet was going to be the technology that will cannibalize the fax machine. So I wrote my thesis about about the new technology. Uh, I got fascinated uh, from uh, from that. Uh, Again, I'm uh, an economist by background, so I'm not an engineer. Uh, and after I graduated, I started to look for uh, employment opportunities in, uh, in, in that area. And so Cisco uh, was opening their first uh, European headquarter. Uh, I applied for a job. I got it. And my career basically started from there. So I've always wanted to be internationally oriented, uh, always an entrepreneur at heart. I had my first business when I was 18. There was a shoe shop on Lake Como where I come from. And, uh, and so basically I've been uh, uh, moving ahead and moving forward since then. Wow. I mean, so a shoe shop on Lake Como, Lake Como that must have been an intersection with the rich and famous, never mind technology. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, my family is a, is a shoes family. And, uh, and in fact, that job uh, 
taught me a lot about how to deal with people. When a client comes into the shop, you have to sell them something within a fraction of a second. You have to be able to look at them, understand who they are, what they want, what you want them to want, and basically turn that quickly around. So it was a very, very good uh, school of how to exercise emotional intelligence and deal with people. Wow. So, I mean, jumping in with Cisco right at the beginning there, when you look back and you look at those 20 years you spent in the company, you would probably think to yourself, gosh, there's been so many different changes in technologies, you know, mobile phones turning into smartphones. As you said, the reason you were passionate about joining was the fact that you'd written a thesis on how the internet was going to monopolize and take over the fax machine and spreadsheets turning into digital business applications. So looking back and looking back at that time in your life, can you give the listeners some views on the impacts that these technology changes had at the time and then how it's matured over time? Sure. If you look at the second part of the 90s, uh, uh, the internet and technology was really about uh, communication. So we literally moved from uh, black and green screen to colored screens, right? And so communication, especially in the enterprise sector, was the norm, right? So we started to use emails and to talk to each other. With the emergence of the browser, we moved into basically a new age, which was an age of accessing information, right? I remember, in fact, the first time I saw a, a website, I think it was in, 90, in 92, and what you could see there were the results of the European uh, Soccer World Cup in real time. And I remember I felt completely excited that I could basically see on a website, uh, on a screen of a computer, basically a football uh, score. I don't remember actually what that match was, right? But basically, you will access information. Uh, the big uh, change, however, came between 2000 and 2010, when the internet got democratized. And so consumers started to use it to access information, but also to communicate in two ways. Social, social media became basically a new phenomenon. And the internet went from being an enterprise, let's say, use application, into the becoming something that touches the life of everybody and of the people. Towards the end of the 2000 years, uh, we started to look into the IoT phenomenon. So not only people will talk to each other, an organization will talk to each other, but the things started to communicate through the same protocol and same infrastructure, which gave birth of uh, new uh, technologies and new phenomena like artificial intelligence, uh, smart cities, and the likes of that. So we've gone a long journey. The internet has democratized even more. It has connected many more people, not only in developed, but also in developing economies. And now basically is the de facto technology standard on how we communicate and interoperate on a global basis. So, I mean, that's a lot of change over time. But I think one of the common threads throughout this is that you've been also leading people and leading organizations. And really, that's all really a lot about motivating people and getting people to do things and getting people really to go the same way the same day, as they say. You know, people talk a lot about leadership traits, management books. They keep developing new formulas year after year. What do you think makes an effective leader? And has your view on leadership changed over your career? Uh, I think my, my, my personal style has stayed pretty much the same, but I've learned a lot from, uh, from mistakes, uh, from difficult moments, uh, and from challenges that I've had to have throughout my career. 
in, uh, in of course, uh, not only building teams and growing businesses, but sometimes having to also laid off people, right? I remember uh, both in 2000 and around 2010, uh, when companies downside, Cisco basically had to do the same. I had to lay off uh, a few of my colleagues. Some of them were actually also becoming friends. And so that has changed my perspective to, to, to managing teams and interacting with people a lot. And I guess in the course of the year, my decency quotient strengthened even more than what it was before, right? So I learned how to judge uh, and to look at uh, the people that I interact with uh, more from a DQ perspective than an IQ, right? So how intelligent are you is, is a great way to look at somebody, uh, but also how do you exercise uh, uh, passion? How do you exercise uh, uh, decency? And also, how do you, and that's an Italian word, throw your heart beyond the obstacle? I've always enjoyed working with those people that are able to take a risk in a corporate environment to develop a visionary idea about something that will change the way you know clients, uh, uh, enterprises, people are basically living their lives. And we just go after this and, and, and take the risk of developing that idea into, a, into an operational model, into a technology into a business initiative, and then take it from there. So I guess the decency quotient is the one that uh, I saw growing into my into my own personal and professional style. And this is something that I treasure very much in my job today. Building on that, I mean, obviously you talked about laying people off and having a, the decency quotient, and you've been managing leading people for quite some time. Can you give me a couple of examples of really hard decisions you've had to make in that time and then how you've managed the outcomes that came from them? Well, I, I had to, uh, at a certain point, lay off a few of, uh, of our colleagues in the team. And uh, in some parts of the world, uh, literally, you will need to jump on a telephone line. Uh, you were given 20 minutes to, to lay out the person. And, uh, and that really... Uh, was devastating uh, not only for the person who was being let off, but also for myself. Right? You work, uh, you build a relationship uh, with somebody for many years, you know uh, their family, and at the moment you need to basically go in with a cold heart and uh, and, and have the conversation. So that was definitely a life-changing uh, um, uh, experience for me. And I promised myself I would basically do my best not to get into the situation anymore not only for myself, but also for the people that work in my organization. And so far, I've been able to, to keep up to the promise. Oh, that's fantastic. So we've talked a little bit about your early career. We've talked a little bit about new technologies and leadership. And let's talk a little bit about how they intersect. So do you see technology as a tool or technology as a critical element for today's leaders? So I don't see actually technology as a tool. I see technology as an enabler. And I would say one of the challenges that we've had in the digital technology history for many years is uh, we've been creating hammers that will basically be carried around to look for a nail, right? In other words, many of the ideas that we've uh, developed in the past from an industry perspective started in a lab uh, or in an engineering environment without really thinking about what the problem was that this technology was, uh, was supposed to be solving, right? I have to say, over the last few years, uh, many things have changed. With the uh, uh, emergence of uh, design uh, thinking, of user experiences, uh, uh, we've been able to understand a bit more, first of all, what the uh, 
uh, usages of whatever technology that would need to be created as a consequence. Uh, we also have learned how to really apply technology, not only in developed uh, economies and environments, but also in developing ones. And I would argue basically the time has come for us to be able to apply technology at the bottom of the pyramid in many markets around the world and use it to further modernize, digitize, and democratize some of the societies that are actually big uh, users and absorbers of new technology right now. I see. So looking at that sort of technology when it's being used, I mean, it has many critics, of course, technology. Some would say it can overpower discussions. And like you said, sometimes engineers walk around with a hammer looking for a nail. Um, technology also has a distraction factor. You know, you've probably sat in meetings many times and looked at the people you were talking to, checking their mobile phones. Um, what is your view of how technology can be distracting in the workplace? I mean, it can be distracted in the sense of, uh, you know, always keeping you on, right? And uh, uh, it can also be uh, distractive in the sense of... Uh, uh, trying to solve uh, solutions that are really not there. We also have a challenge, I think, today with the acceleration of technology in our lives, in our society. Right? It's like if you were to uh, take a train or step on a roller coaster. If you step on a roller coaster, you will basically get dizzy when you get out of it, right? Uh, because of the acceleration. So technology has accelerated so far. The many of the people and the users, uh, uh, not only the elderly people, but also some of the millennials, are starting to basically get uh, in a need to, to switch off, right? And one of the things that actually I'm missing uh, in a lockdown situation right now is uh, uh, being on a plane for like eight, nine hours, flying, for example, from Amsterdam to New York, and having time to switch off from connectivity, from information, and from the rest of the world, and actually think. So technology has improve greatly our lives, uh, but it also has contributed to an information overflow. This sometimes basically makes us very dizzy, very tired, and that's not allowed us to stop, you know, take a step back and think. I mean, I think that's wonderful perspective as well. And I suppose now going away from that technology aspect and, and looking at the talent of tomorrow, you know, you talked about people coming new into the workplace. I mean, today's entrance into the job market are all digital natives. There's many new languages that those of us who have been around a while might not understand. You know, complex emojis is one of them for sure. But what do you look for in new entrants in managerial positions or those people who perhaps fresh out of school and promoted into leadership? Um, how, do you, how do you look at them and what sort of advice do you give them as coming into the workplace? So one of the privileges that I have is to work with a very young, diverse, uh, and talented team at MasterCard. And the first thing that I'm doing, I'm actually learning a lot from them. Uh, I have uh, a few reverse mentors, as I call them, who are very young, uh, you know, millennial colleagues uh, who are uh, coaching me and advising me on how the new technologies uh, work. Uh, we have one, I have one in Dubai who's particularly... Uh, focus in basically helping me understand the digital payment technology that MasterCard has, as well as the new way of consuming this type of information. So we, we live in that world where uh, those who are coming to the workforce now have uh, uh, capabilities and knowledge, which is very valuable for those who have been there for a while, because technology has changed so quickly that those like me who have been in this job for 25 to 30 years uh, 
struggle to understand exactly what the new technologies are. So it's a bit of a reverse world with a reverse mentoring and coaching type of uh, modeling in some of those enterprises. The other interesting uh, piece of uh, of uh, 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 the trade of the new millennials, and I've got uh, six kids, uh, a few of them are you know about to walk into the work environment because they're finishing school, is their passion for uh, the world, uh, for technology, for sustainability. Uh, and that's something that I think my generation will probably have less. We, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And so our ambition was basically to work for a, a great company, to buy a house, to have a great job and to travel the world. I see new colleagues coming into the work environment and my kids who are about to do this be much more idealistic really thinking about the world, again, sustainability and environmental sustainability in particular is something that they really care about. And this is part of the DNA, the DNA and the part of the trait of this new generation. I mean, that's fascinating. I particularly loved the idea of reverse mentoring. I think that's a very modern and very forward-thinking way of looking at things. And, and as you said, you know, when you came into the workplace, things were a little bit different and things were looked at in different ways. Do you think that technology and the use of technology so now you can talk to people around the world without having to fly there has changed your views about how important diversity is in the workplace? I have to say diversity has always been uh, a very important trait and element to me and the way I basically have been uh, operating and building teams and uh, so when I started my uh, journey uh, at Cisco my boss at the time told me I would like you to build a very diverse uh, uh, loosely coupled team of very uh, strong opinionated individuals, which I did. Right, so uh, in my team at the time, we had a, a German architect, uh, a Korean uh, engineer, a Dutch person who had been in Cambodia working for the UN, uh, an Indian uh, urban planner, uh, and so by basically creating this uh, the very diverse team, I immediately saw how uh, innovation and the acceleration of the ideas basically came. Right, so the world is basically a diverse one, uh, and you need to mirror basically the way the world the world works when you work in your in your enterprise environment. And again, that's exactly where challenges to the uh, existing ideas uh, take place. Uh, new ones come up, and again, you're able to quickly turn your vision into a strategy, into an execution, because you're actually mirroring what happens outside the the, the, the corporate the corporate environment. So diversity is very very important to me. What is also important is the use of technology, uh, especially now accelerated by COVID-19, right? So I would argue that we have been uh, trying to stimulate uh, smart working for the next, uh, for the last 20 years. And within eight weeks, we achieve more than we will have achieved in the next 10 years without this uh, terrible crisis. So now everybody's working from home. 85% of the civil servants in many countries of Europe, are actually working from home. And the point is, uh, when the lockdowns have been relax, uh, re- relaxed and people will be able to go back to work, will they do that? Or will they still expect to be able to work with their family and maybe go to the office two or three times a year? So in a matter of a few weeks, we completely compressed the, the, the cycle of uh, uh, working on new uh, working practices. And now the world has completely changed. I don't think we're going to go back to normal where, you know, employees and civil servants will be expecting to go to the office from Monday to Friday. Once they learn what the technology is, uh, 
they basically take it from there. That is interesting, actually. And and also just to quickly jump back onto what you talked about, the, the new entrance into the workplace, thinking about the environment. So ESG, environment, social and governance, has become a, a watchword for today's investors and also for new people coming into the marketplace. Now, MasterCard as a company, payment technologies, uh, a lot of people wouldn't think of MasterCard as a uh, as an ESG company, but in the area that you're in, in, in government, in uh, looking at the new things that are happening in sustainable enterprises, how do you feel MasterCard takes a leading role there in actually pushing forward ESG as a mindset, as, as you said before, as an enabler? So we've been working uh, uh, in many uh, ESG-related areas. One in particular is basically at the heart of what we do, which is uh, financial inclusion. So we made a commitment to the UN uh, five years ago that we'll be, we will be working in financially including uh, 500 million people uh, into the formal sector by basically giving them means to receive and make uh, digital payments, which is what we have achieved. We just renewed our commitment now and we're going to try to bring a billion people into the financial sector. And these are people usually in developing markets at the bottom of the pyramid, but also into cities in the developed world. Uh, these are people that usually are undocumented, excluded uh, uh, immigrants into our societies. We also put in a specific focus into our ne- next commitment on small and medium enterprises run by female entrepreneurs, which is another huge opportunity to stimulate innovation, but also to create a stronger economic performance in the markets in which we operate to be able to then create uh, financially sustainable business models for philanthropy so that we want to so that we can demonstrate how we can do good by doing well doing good and doing well has always been separated in the corporate environment doing good was the csr program into enterprise doing well was the commercial program now we're trying to basically bring those two things together with the financially sustainable models that in the mid to long term generate opportunities and uh, and wealth for mastercard as well and so we're trying to bring together the interests of our stakeholders with one of our shareholders into a sort of integrated strategy. So in the midst of all of this, of course, a bit about leadership, a quick uh, one sort of word answer either way, leaders, made or born? Capable of uh, flying 30,000 feet uh, with their feet on the ground, right? So being able to turn vision into strategy, into execution. And people with a big heart and a emotional uh, intelligence and a decency quotient, which is very high. That's my Got definition. It. Now, going back just quickly as a final question to COVID-19, it's very difficult not to discuss that in where we are at the moment, both sitting at home, not in the workplace. But you talked a lot about sustainable business. You talked a lot about financial inclusion. Do you think COVID-19 is going to potentially accelerate the digital divide and the social divide? And do you think that you can get governments to to see this and to really, because I really loved your initiatives, you know, bringing a 500 million people out of, uh, into financial markets and social and financial inclusion. Do you think that this is a real huge opportunity for MasterCard to actually accelerate these initiatives because of COVID-19? So we work at the moment with many, many governments around the world, many agencies on supporting their COVID-19 uh, responses 
but also to think about what the recovery strategies will look like. And so we deploy a combination of uh, data insights, uh, payment solutions, uh, identity systems, and so on. And what I see increasingly more are conversations that governments are having internally, but also with uh, partners like us, on using COVID-19 as a reset button to create a growth strategy which is more inclusive. If you look at the small and medium enterprises, while those are, the, the, are, rec- are uh, receiving disbursements right, and financial aid, could the disbursement be used to digitize a small and medium enterprise, help them go online right, and sell their products not only on their traditional channels but into new channels, make them safe and secure by helping them uh, understand how to use cybersecurity software and solutions and so on, and also making sure that they can receive, and that's our part, and provide digital payments, which are much more secure, less prone to fraud uh, than, uh, than cash itself. So again, the opportunity is really to reset some of the parts and the elements of our economy and make sure that people basically go online. And I have a very simple example on my side. I mean, my parents in Italy receive their pension digitally, right? So they, they don't have to go to the post office anymore and basically collect cash like it happens in many markets, but they basically get these on their on their on their cards and on their uh, on the telephone right now. Uh, but also they've had to learn how to use Zoom, right? So every evening uh, uh, my family zooms, right, uh, with video communication, and it's uh, great to see how my father, who was not a computer, you know, savvy person at all, started to learn both with his mobile phone and with his laptop to basically download a software, get online, use video talk to his grandkids, uh, you know, between Italy and the Netherlands and to the rest of the family. And that is very telling on how COVID is the accelerator in a, of course, terrible, terrible environment, right, of many of the positive uses of, uses of technology, which we've been speaking about for a long time and now basically have been, have been uh, uh, coming to, to fruition. Well, I have to say, I mean, that is a fantastic sort of end to our little discussion because in all of the the stresses that COVID-19 has caused around the world, uh, if it could press the reset button, if we could see more social inclusion, that would be fantastic. And it sounds like MasterCard could be at the forefront of that. So with that, I'd really like to thank you, Nick, for taking the time today. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I wish you all the best with all of the initiatives that you have going. It sounds like you're going to have a very, very, very busy uh, rest of the year. It is going to be indeed a very busy rest of the year. I'd like to thank you, Matthew, for the opportunity to have this conversation. And I hope the insights and the comments are helpful for those who are listening. Thanks again, Nick. Thanks to you.